chapter 2. We've been in Luke, really this is where I've camped, and and there's only a few verses really to choose from when when we're talking about preaching Christmas messages and looking at the Christmas story. But Luke chapter 2, there's so much there, and you know what's amazing, the more I dig into uh, if, if you ever do this, we, we do a Bible study. We've done a Bible study here before. I've done a study in the past called Search the Scriptures. And the premise of that is you, you take a certain text and you read that same text every day for a month. And it's amazing what you'll see in a text, the 30th reading versus the first or second or third or fifth reading. And there's no telling how many times we've studied out uh, this, this passage here and looked at different things. But I got to looking, and, and my, my idea, and I had shared some, with some folks that the, I was going to talk about the, the, the swaddling cloths, okay? That's what, that was going to be the message. Well, it's going to be part of the message, but uh, I ran up upon something this week that grabbed me, and I hope, to, I, hope I can cl- clearly communicate what the Lord has shared with me this week. And uh, I, hope you'll see, I hope you'll see Christmas a little different um, when you leave here this morning than maybe what you saw coming in. And you, and you have a different form of, of worship in, in this day. So the title of the message is this, The Sign of the Nativity. The Sign of the Nativity. So let's begin right there. We're going to begin there in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Let me just read this. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered or taxed. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own country. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So uh, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Let's pray. Father, thank you already for the time we've had together this morning. Lord, our hearts have looked to this day for, uh, we really look to it all year. We look towards this day. And here we are, Lord, the day that we remember the birth of our Savior, the birth of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we come and worship this morning, Lord, I pray that you will will just, you'll bless in this time now as we look to your word. I pray, God, you would guide my thoughts, guide my speech. Uh, Lord, I pray there not be anything that come out of my mouth, Lord, that, that would be against your will. Lord, use this this morning. I pray that it will be a time that encourages us and, and Lord, just maybe fills our heart with wonder again at, at what you did for us and what we're remembering this day. Not the birth of a baby uh, in Bethlehem, but the birth of a Savior. So thank you, Lord, and I pray you'll bless now and move in a powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Now, you know, I can remember reading that and, and reading his clothes. We think about swaddling clothes. And I can remember as a kid thinking, what is that? What is swaddling clothes? What, is that just big clothes? Is it like this you know, two-year-old clothes and that's all they had? I didn't know. I mean, you, you, you wonder what that is. But as we begin to look at that, what is swaddling? And it's not clothes, it's swaddling cloths. It's cloths designed to swaddle. So swaddling cloths are cloths and bands used in the practice of swaddling or essentially wrapping an infant tightly in clothing. Okay, so it, you, you, we do this today. We wrap, we bundle up babies. We see it more now. If we got a little bundle back there bundled up and she's all bundled up, Allie's bundled up back there, others are bundled up back there. 
uh, uh, Barrett, is he bundled up back there this morning? He's swaddled this morning. Is he feeling safe? Not, he, he's not still swaddled right now, but he was early. You had him swaddled up, and there's some reasons we do that, but it's wrapping. There's, it's not just clothes. It's not like in the hospital's day, they take these blankets. They kind of got a method. They tuck it in here, they wrap it here, they tuck this in, and then they're just, they look like a little mummy. And there's a purpose for that, but this isn't something new. It's not like all of a sudden we're so intelligent, we've got it figured out in America or modern medicine. We've got to look back and learn more from the past because they were already doing this. So they're doing this here. And the idea behind swaddling is that it helps the baby transition from the womb, which was a very snug place, uh, uh, to the outside world, which is a very cold place, especially this morning cold place. In general, swaddling has been proved to help uh, infants sleep better, makes them feel safe and secure, prevents them from scratching themselves, and and it also has been proven to reduce the risk of SIDS. In ancient times, like today, a swaddled infant was safe if wrapped and watched properly. And many cultures still practice swaddling today. Many places you'll go, you'll see that. So swaddling cloths... Now, when you think of that word, and, and, and for me forever, it was, that sounded so exotic, so mysterious. You know, this is, wow, Bethlehem, this baby's born. They swaddle, these swaddling cloths, these swaddling cloths. What, what in the world does that mean? It sounds mystery. It, it sounds so extraordinary. And yet that statement and the fact, uh, and, and that fact that he was swaddled made it be the most ordinary statement in the entire passage When you look at all the events, the long travel they did walking or riding a donkey for 60 miles with Mary very pregnant, ready to give birth, to go to Bethlehem for a time. All of the things that we see in that. No room in the inn. They're born. They go to the manger. They're they're born in a stable. He's born in a stable, laid in a manger. All these things that, that, that are so extraordinary, and yet the swaddling of this baby born there is is probably the most ordinary thing we see in the whole story. All babies were swaddled then. They were all wrapped up in security. This is not some unusual thing at all. There was nothing unusual about that. And this showed, what it showed is this, that Mary was a good mother who was attentive to Jesus' needs and lovingly protected and cared for him. That's what it showed. It showed that Mary was a good mother. She cared. And she did what every other mother who cared for their children would have done at that time. Swaddled them, wrapped them snugly to make them feel secure and to keep them safe. God himself embodies the same frailty and helplessness that every single one of us did at birth. That's what we see. We see when Jesus was born, he he didn't come as a grown man. He didn't come as king. He didn't come as some superhuman baby. He was just like us. He's all human. He's all man. And and he's just a helpless child. At long last, the long-awaited Christ has come, and he has come like this, this this helpless child, this dependent on his human mother and, and human father, this weak and vulnerable, this insecure and frail in the moments after leaving his mother's womb, the fullness of God in helpless babe. He cannot even control his limbs enough to keep himself asleep. He is this in need of warmth and protection. He is this in need to be settled and soothed. He is this human, fully human, beginning the journey of human life like the rest of us. And uh, from an egg to an embryo to a fetus to a newborn with all of his frailty and fragility. He is this normal, wrapped in swaddling cloths. 
swaddling Mark, the commonness of, his, of this newborn, of his newborn humanity. And yet he is not normal. This newborn is lying in a manger. And right there we see the contrast. We see swaddling cloths, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. That would have been as common as anything you would have found. But he's lying in a manger. That's anything but common. Now, when you understand, we'll talk more about this a little later in the message, but a manger was a feed trough. I mean, when we understand that, we see that and we think, oh, that's so, you know, it, it, for us, it's become very a precious sight when we see that and think about that. But he, th- here's Christ, here's God incarnate, God in flesh that is swaddled and laid in a feed trough. That's where, that's where the baby Jesus was laid. In a, in a feed trough for animals, that's where he was laid. So while the, the swaddling highlights the ordinary, the manger signals the extraordinary. This Christ child is unexpectedly typical and surprisingly distinct. He is normal and yet anything but. He is fully human and he is fully God. And it's a contrast there in the, when, when you talk about the, the signs that the angel talks about, this will be a sign to you, you'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. It is a picture of the contrast of the ordinary and the extraordinary. He is all man, all man, just the humility of that, to be born in a manger, in a, to be born in a stall there, to be born in, a, in just a stable and laid in a, but, but to be laid in a manger. Man, the contrast of that, that God in flesh laid in a manger. Set apart from the ages, uh, the, before the ages began, here he lies, God in flesh in a feed trough. One writer said the arrival of the incarnated Son of God is a study in contrast between how God did it and how we might have done it. Amen? If we're writing the story, we don't write it anything like this. You read through the, 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 the story here and the account of Christ's birth, man, we wouldn't have written it that way. There's no way we would have come up with these things. Indeed, it is a contrast. From the virgin conception to parents of lowly estate, from the long journey to the little town, the, the undignified guest, and now the manger, God does it like no human would have planned. And then we come to, to verse 8. Now there were in the same shepherd, oh, in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, when we look to these shepherds in this story, understand this. These shepherds are not your regular run-of-the-mill shepherds. These shepherds are keeping the temple flock. They're keeping the temple sheep. The sheep that they're keeping, they're, these are the sheep that are going to be sacrificially offered for, for, for sin. And so these are sheep that they're, they're looking out for, protecting them. They want them without spot and blemish. These are sheep used in temple sacrifice. So this is a special job. Now also understand that these shepherds are probably the lowest of the low in the community. They're not, these are not, you would think, wow, man, they're tending the sheep for the temple sacrifice. That'd be like, that'd be like a prestigious job. No, it's like the worst job you could have. I mean, you couldn't do anything else, so you're keeping the sheep out there. And it just seemed, it's a, it's a, they're the, 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 the most humble of the humble in the, in the community. Isn't it amazing? The Lord comes to the most humble place coming to Bethlehem. The most humble of towns. He could have been, been born in Rome, you know, with all the philosophy or, 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 the, or all the religion and the power there of Rome. Could have been in, in Athens, Greece with all the, the philosophies and stuff, the intelligence supposedly there. Could have been there in Jerusalem with all the, the prestige of the religion and everything. But no, it was Bethlehem, this little bitty place. And then the angels come and they announce to these shepherds the lowest the most humble in the community. So the, the, the most humble in the, the town of the most humble town in the, in the region, in the area, Bethlehem. 
So these, these, these shepherds, they're birthing and raising and tending and shepherding the sheep that were born to die. It's interesting that the angel comes to them. Verse 9, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Man, today we still scream that. This is available to all people. The Lord came for you. He came and He, he, he died for you. He, he, he gave His life a substitutionary sacrifice to pray for your sin. Would you not receive that today? Which is to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David. And, and I've highlighted this already. But it was, the angel doesn't say born to you in the city of David a baby. It says born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. The angel says what Jesus was here to do. He was here to be our Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Verse 12. Now, this is the verse we're going to spend some time and focus on. And this will be the sign to you. So we're looking at the sign of the nativity. This will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, I'm going to challenge some things with our normal thinking this morning. See, they understood swaddling. We already talked about that. They, under, they understood that. So when the angel tells them, you're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, they understood swaddling. They understood it a little different than, than maybe everybody else would have understood it because they swaddled lambs at their birth. They swaddled them. When a lamb was born, they would wrap that lamb in the linen cloths, those stripes. Those, they would swaddle that lamb because they wanted to protect that lamb. The lamb, in order to be a sacrifice, had to be, uh, it had to be without, without, splot, without spot, without blemish. It couldn't, it couldn't have any problems. So they didn't want a newborn lamb getting up and walking around and stumbling and, and messing up its leg, breaking a leg or scuffing up something or banging its head. They, they wanted to protect it, so they swaddled them. So they swaddled the lambs at their birth to protect from injury, blemish, and to keep them spotless. And we think, when, when we think of that, it makes me think of the fact that Jesus was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He was the Lamb of God. He was the Lamb of God sent. And, and so the, the, the angel tells them that this will be the sign to you. You're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, they understand that, and, and lying in a manger. You know, um, well, let's go. Let's let's just go right to let's go right to verse thirteen. I'm getting a little bit ahead. Verse thirteen. And suddenly, so so now they've said this is the sign, and and so they're understanding what the angel said to them. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men." So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, "Now look at what they say." Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Okay, so when you talk about signs, the angel said this, this will be a sign to you. They said a sign. The angel didn't say these are signs to you. He mentions a couple of things here. You'll find the babe. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. But this will be a sign to you. And so we think of that. We've always thought of that. Oh, they're telling the shepherds exactly how to find Jesus. Well, how hard do you think it would be to find Jesus? Honestly, think about this. We're talking about a town smaller than Geneva. I mean, Bethlehem in that day would have been, a, it may, I don't know, may have been a few hundred people instead of thousands. 
I really don't know what the population was, but it's a small little town. And, and so here's the shepherds who are keeping the flock. They understood, they understood where their lambs were born. They understood their swaddled then. They understood when they heard manger, they knew stable. Now, I'm going to tell you, if a baby's born in Bethlehem, even with people there so the inn is full, we're not talking about a 300-room you know, uh, hotel room or a 1,500-room hotel at you know, the Ritz-Carlton or whatever. We're talking about, I don't know what the inn was. It might have been two rooms in the inn in Bethlehem. We're not talking about a whole lot. If there's a baby born in Bethlehem, all of Bethlehem is aware. They know. So what I'm, what I'm getting at is the angel wasn't telling the shepherds these great details and rev- revealing this in order for them to figure out where this baby would be. Oh, where would a baby be born? Well, how are we ever going to find a baby? Look, there may not have been another baby born in Bethlehem in all of, of whatever month it was. You know, may not have been another baby born that month. Might not have been another baby born for six months. When there's a baby born in Bethlehem, people knew it. So you, you, we think that the sign is pointing them to the baby Jesus to help them find him. But I think the shepherds uh, didn't have to look for the newborn Savior. I think when, when, when the angel revealed to them those two things, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, they knew stable. They knew that. I think that they may have known immediately when the angel told them that, lying in a manger, because that's a feed trough. And it wouldn't be found in a house, but in a stable. And so again, remember that Bethlehem is small. It's very, very small. And a baby born there, everybody's going to know it. So perhaps they knew the exact location of the birth of Jesus from those clues. There were stables. There was a place. And we're going to go. Those that are traveling. and We leave three weeks tomorrow. There's a group of us going to Israel. And we're going to go to the shepherd's field. And hopefully we'll get to go down and see those stables. But we'll look out over the shepherd's field where they believe that these shepherds were tending those, those flocks. And so they, I believe that when the angel told them that, they knew exactly. And let's look at why they said what, why they said what they said. Because it says, let us go now. Look, this is the response of the shepherds. Let us go now to Bethlehem. And see this thing. They didn't say, uh, you know, let us, let us go to Bethlehem and, and find this baby. They said, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. I don't think they were concerned about how hard it was going to be to find this baby. I think they were just going to see, and that's what they said. Verse 12, and this will be the sign to you. This will be the sign to you. You'll find the babe, or find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, also notice here that the angels didn't say that these will be signs to you, but the sign, the sign to you. Now, I want to I look at the real sign. And this is kind of the heart. We're getting to the heart of what I want you to, to picture this morning. When we talk about the real sign, so in the, that word there, sign, in the New Testament, the Greek, it, it's translated this. So a sign or prodigy. And then there's a word Portent. Anybody know what the word portent means? Any, anyone at all? Okay. I, I, wow, he's smart. I, I, I didn't know, so I looked it up. But it goes on, portent, so i.e., example, an, an unusual occurrence, transcending the common course of nature, the signs portending mark, a remarkable events soon to happen. So that word portending, portending means this. To be a sign or warning that something, especially something momentous uh, or calamitous, 
is likely to happen. So when you see this sign, that's what this sign is. It's something that is, it's a sign or a warning of something, something really, really special, something really momentous or calamitous. Now, some of the synonyms for the word portending are foreshadow, foretell, prophecy, to be a sign of, be an indication of, herald, signal, point to, signify. Now, here's what we think of with signs. This is kind of in 2022, almost 2023 in America. We talk about a sign. You know, here's your sign. You know, it's, it's something that's very obvious. All right. Don't enter here. Do enter there. Billboards. It's advertising something. It's wanting to direct you somewhere. It's telling you exactly where to go. Traffic signs. Get the warnings. All these different signs. And they convey this information. And we kind of get this idea that, boy, the sign was just so the shepherds could find him. Challenge again, it wouldn't be hard for the shepherds to find. All, all the angel had to say was, there's a baby born in Bethlehem. Go, go find him. That's it. Didn't have to give. But the angel didn't do that. The angel said, this will be the sign to you. So I, I, I think there's some foreshadowing here, some foretelling, some prophecy. But this sign that we see here, it was a biblical sign like others that we find in Scripture. Think about some of these signs. Genesis 9, 13 says, I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. You see a rainbow today. We don't go, oh, it means this is coming. Or it's pointing me to, you know, go to the end of the rainbow, we'll find a pot of gold. It's not a sign of that. It's a sign that it is, it is a sign of the covenant that God made with the earth and that he made with man. And no, never again will he destroy the earth by flood, right? So it's a sign that we look at and it was something that pointed to something the Lord had done that was bigger than just putting a rainbow in the sky. Exodus 3.12 so he said, now this is when Moses, the Lord has told Moses to go into Egypt. And Moses is, you know, he was insecure. He don't, I don't know, can I go? Should I go? What should I do? And God says this, so he said, I will certainly be with you and this will be a sign to you. Oh, oh, here's a sign. You're going you're gonna to make, make something spring up out of the ground. Oh, you're going to do something amazing that proves to me I'm supposed to go. See, that's what we want. That's the way we think today. Something's going to happen that shows me what I'm supposed to do right here. That ain't what God said. God told Moses, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve me on this mountain. Isn't that interesting? God says the sign is going to be after you've done this. I told you to go, now go. I told you I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. And here's going to be the sign of that is when you come back with them, you're going to worship me on this mountain. And that day Moses worshiped on that mountain, he was going to remember that and go, oh, that's a sign. It's a, it, was, it was a picture of, of, of God's promise. All right, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That was pointing to something that was going to happen. There was Matthew 6, 4. It's what the Lord said. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. You all know what that is, right? It's three days. What was Jonah? Three days in the belly's well, right? And he came out alive. That's the sign that, that the, 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 Jesus said the only sign that you're going to get is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. And what he was saying there is the sign is I'm going to be three days in the earth. I'm going to be dead. And then I'm going to rise again. I'm going to come out of that alive. That was pointing to the future. You with me? That's what, that's what this sign is. Now, 
Before I get all the way there, I want you to understand perception versus reality. All right, so let's put the first slide up, Holly. This is the modern view of, oh, I'm sorry, there's swaddling. I forgot that one. This is swaddling. All right, so here's the modern picture of the nativity. This is what we think, right? We see, a, we see a little wooden structure. That's what's in our mind. It's like our little structure out here by the road. It's a wooden structure, and you see the wooden, the wooden manger there. Uh, it's got the cross ties for the legs. Man, if, we, if we're doing a search for pictures of the, the, the manger, we would, that's what we'd want to see. We want to see a wooden manger. We want to see the crossed legs, and, and, and we want to see a bunch of straw piled in there because we get it. We get it that the manger is a feeding trough, but we see it. We see it like that. We see it in 2022. We're looking at it through our eyes in America, the wood, modern, all there's this wood and stuff like that. In our Western, so, so when we talk about the stable, it was. It was a, that's the way we see it, as a wooden stable. And in, in, in our Western culture, if any of you have ever watched Western movies, and I love Western movies, you know, we traditionally think of a stable as a wooden barn where animals are kept, and, in, and, the, and, the, and indeed the stable where Jesus was born served a similar purpose, as did the livery stables of the Old West. So when you think about that, you know, it was a place where the travelers would be able to come up and bring their camels and donkeys. You know, every, every little Western, they go, ride up to the livery and they're going to pay the guy there. You know, how much is it? It's two, two, two bits. You know, you got to pay. And they'll well, make sure you give them extra oats, but don't give them, you know, they got the instructions for taking care of the horse. And they put it in and, and they take, and that person's going to take care of it. It's in the stable there. But it was more than that. In Palestine during those times, stables were not wooden buildings or barns, but they were caves. And there's a reason. These natural formations were readily available and convenient to provide overhead shelter without, building, uh, without having to build a structure. Another reason was this. Well, you, our folks that are going to go over there are going to see this. There ain't a whole lot of wood in Israel. Not a lot of trees growing around there. So they, they, it wasn't like, you know, trees are at a premium. Wood was at a premium, so they didn't use it to build every little thing. They wouldn't have built it to, they used it to build a, 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 a stable Wood would have been used in a home. They'd use brick walls. They would stone. They'd cut out the stone and pile the stone up. Or, or, and, and the only place they might use wood would be laying across for the ceiling to get that a structure for the ceiling or for doorways. But the wood would have been at a premium. It would have been expensive. So that was not the stable in that day. And we can show the next slide of a, of a stable. If you've seen them, I think this comes from the movie um, The Nativity. I think that's what that, that is from there. But you can see it's in a cave. I mean, they're, they're in a cave. That's what they would have been in. That's what a stable in that day would have looked like. So you're talking about a, a, a cave that's a natural, a lot of limestone over there, so there's a lot of caves in the area. So, so we got to get out of our head what we've typically seen of this wooden structure and, it, and, and understand that Jesus and, and Joseph and Mary and, and the baby Jesus are in a cave. That's where they're at, okay? So a stable is a cave. And, and so this knowledge also helps us to understand that what a manger was. So here's the picture we have of the manger. That's what we think. That, that's what, you know, the manger. Now, here's, here's why. If the manger were like that, they could have been anywhere. Right? I mean, you could have had, everybody would have had one of those. That would have been, it would have been easy. You could have moved it in the house. They could have, Jesus could have been anywhere. But it's a feed trough. But that's not the way the feed troughs were in that day either. Um, the, the manger that Jesus was lying in would not have been a wooden manger, 
again, because wood was such a precious commodity. Instead, they were, they were rocky ledges that had been carved out of the rock walls of the, at, at, at the height where animals could eat out of them. So I'll show you a manger. This is actually on the seacoast in Capernaum, I mean in uh, Caesarea, uh, on the Mediterranean. It's one of the first places that we'll visit in a few weeks. But that's one of those. I took a picture of that. That's a manger. It's a big old piece of rock. So they either carve it out of the rock six or eight inches deep place for the food to go for the animals. Or if you went back and think about the cave now, you're in a cave, right? What would be easier to drag a rock in that you got to carve out? Or to, how about if we just carve it into the stone that's in there? It's limestone. It's easy to carve into. So they carve into the, into the walls of the cave and they, and they create this this manger there and it's a place to feed the animals so now every it's just self-supporting so you have a cave the manger maybe is on the wall there it's carved in there's a place and you can see now baby jesus is born he's been swaddled they've wrapped him up they've got hay in there to make and they've laid him in the manger They've laid him in. You see it? You got you to see this with your eyes. Get a picture of this. They're in a cave, and Jesus is wrapped up twa- tight. He's, he's all swaddled. They're caring for him. They're looking at every need. Mary is just, man, she's watching everything because she's a loving and attentive mother. And he's laid in that manger, which is a slab of stone. You see it? Get that in your mind. See the, see the cave. See the manger. Carved in the wall. See the baby Jesus laying there, all wrapped up like a mummy. You got to get that picture in your head. Because here's the sign of the nativity. Here is the sign. Here's the sign. See, this sign points 33 years in the future. Jesus, who knew no sin, has died on the cross for the sins of the world. His body has been, his body has been tightly wrapped in strips of white linen. He's been laid in a tomb carved into the rock. Next picture there, Holly. Is there one behind that? Or no? Uh, Okay, never mind, never mind. So there's a tomb there. And we know the story of Joseph of Arimathea who had a tomb that had never been used. It was his tomb. He was a wealthy man. It had been carved into the rock, a, a place for his burial. And that's, that's the garden tomb that we'll visit. And, and you'll go in there. It's a tomb carved out of the rock. And he had, his body then was laid on a stone slab. Next picture. And inside there, that's what you see. It kind of looks like a manger. It's been carved into the stone. It's a stone slab. Luke 2 verse 7 says, And she brought forth her, forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Luke 23, 53, then he took, he took it down, speaking of the body of Christ, the crucified Christ, and the Lord had died, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. See, the scene of Jesus' birth was a sign or a picture that this little baby, wrapped up like a little mummy, lying on a stone ledge in a cave like a tomb, was a baby who was born to die. At his death, the body of Jesus was wrapped up in cloth, just like the swaddling clothes that he was wrapped up in when he was born. His body was taken into a tomb, which was a cave, just like the stable where he was born. And then they laid his body on a shelf, carved out of rock, just like the manger he was placed on after he was born. 
Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who came to be uh, sacrificed for the sins of the world. At no place, at no place does Scripture tell us to celebrate Jesus' birthday. Instead, Jesus commanded us to commemorate uh, His death until He comes. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. And we're going to do that this morning. We do that when we observe the Lord's Supper. We're remembering His death till He comes. We're honoring the Lord in doing what He told us to do. And as I said before, the only reason we remember Jesus' birth is because of what He did after His death. He died for us and He rose again. If Jesus did not rise again... Man, what we're doing this morning is vain. It is a waste of our time because we are still hopelessly lost, going to go straight to hell because we have no Savior if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Amen? That's what Christmas is about. That's what we see, the sign of the nativity. It is a picture of the, of the tomb where Jesus would be mummified, wrapped up, and laid on that slab just like he was as a baby. That's the sign, I believe, that the angel was giving to them there that day. Now, the key question this Christmas morning is this. What will you do with this sign? Do you see and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, not just to be born, but as God, that He came to die for our sin? Do you believe that He came to die for you? This is the mystery of Christmas, that God became flesh in the form of His own Son, Jesus Christ, who came for the purpose to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven, we could live an abundant life now, and live with Him eternally. We, we, all, all, all of us, and, and all we must do is repent. Repent of our sin, confess our sin, repent of our sin, and believe by faith. In Jesus Christ, placing our faith in Him. John 1.12 says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. Romans 10.9 and 10 says that if we confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So this Christmas morning, the real question is this. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Him? Do you prefer to think of Him only as a helpless baby? Or will you receive the new life that His death for you provides for you? What will you do this morning? Pastor Aaron, you and the team can come forward. Folks, here in just a, a moment, we're going we're gonna to have, have a time of, uh, of an invitation. The, I, I share often with our folks that this, this, here are not steps, though we use them as steps. This is an altar. It's a place for us to come and pray, talk to the Lord. And, um, but uh, before we take of communion this morning, there's a couple of things that maybe business needs to be taken care of. Maybe this morning you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and today's the day you need to do that. If that's you, I'd invite you to step out when we start the, the, the song here in just a moment. I invite you to step out and come down here and let, let one of us take the, the Bible and, and just walk you through the gospel, through the plan of salvation. And, uh, and, and you know, the Bible says these things I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. I can't, I can't tell you you're saved, but boy, you can take the promises of God. If you place your faith in the Lord Jesus, according to Scripture, there's a promise there that says you shall be saved. I'd love to do that this morning. I also want to read, read what we're going to take part in here in just a moment in, in, uh, in the communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. 
For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had, uh, when he had supped, saying, this, is, this cup is the New Testament of my, my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat, you eat this cup, or, uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Wherefore, who, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And that's where I want to pause for a second. Because when we have invitation here in a moment, now's the time to get your heart right with God and make sure there's nothing that's standing between you and Him. Maybe there's, there's unconfessed sin in your life that needs to be confessed this morning. Maybe there's broken relationships that need to be restored this morning. But there's a warning to us that if we take part in communion when there is sin that the Lord has convicted us of, that's a problem. We need to deal with that before we come and take part in, in communion, in the Lord's Supper. So we're going to have a time of invitation, time of prayer. It's a time for you to pray. You can pray right where you are. You can step out and come to this altar on this Christmas morning and talk to the Lord and, uh, and get those things right. But make sure your, your heart is right with the Lord, that, that any known sin is confessed, that you, you're, you're standing right before Him. Verse 28 says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So is there anything that stands between you and God this morning? Anything that you need to confess? Um, we're going to have time right now in this invitation. Is the, the, the praise team is going to sing here. And uh, now is the time to get those things right with the Lord before we go further with the uh, Lord's Supper this morning. Father God, I pray that you will uh, move in our midst. Lord, I pray you'll convict where there's sin. I pray, God, the Holy Spirit of God would reveal to, to anyone that's here, Lord, who does not know you as Savior that you'd reveal to them right now their need for a Savior. And Lord, with the first note that is hit, may they, may they, may they just surrender to your will and step out, Lord, and uh, come and let us share with them uh, the gospel, the simple message of salvation by faith or by grace through faith. So Lord, bless now in this time, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. We pray.